Would you go with me to James chapter 2? James chapter 2. I wonder, I was tempted, I was very tempted today to find my uh, nastiest pair of uh, blue jeans and my rattiest t-shirt to wear today and and leave my socks and shoes at home. Um, I don't know what came over me. I was really tempted to do that. And you're going to see why, I think. Um, just as an illustration, I refrained because, for one thing, I didn't want to walk over here without any shoes and socks on. For another thing, I was fearful. Not of you so much, but I knew my wife would kill me if I embarrassed her like that, so I chose to embarrass her this way. Instead, I figured this is a little less painful than me showing up looking like I don't have anything decent to wear on a Sunday. Um, but I wonder what your perception would have been. What would you have thought? Well, probably you would have gone, what kind of a stunt is he pulling? Okay. But what if I came like that every Sunday? What would you think? That's a interesting question, isn't it? Look at James 2 and follow along with me and read verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Follow along. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, uh, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And there's more that follows, which, Lord willing, we'll come to next week. But I'm going to stop there at verse 7 this morning. In chapter 1, if you remember back to our studies in chapter 1 in James, we saw how the faith of believers is tested by trials. James is really about living your faith, living out your faith and having a growing and living faith. And in chapter 1, James teaches us and instructs us and tells us, inspired by God, about how the living and growing faith of a believer should strengthen and equip and empower him in the face of trials, how the believer is to respond to those things. You know, the growing and maturing believer knows to trust in and obey God's word in the midst of the trials that he's facing, lest he fall to the temptation to doubt God's word or lest he fall to the temptation to doubt that God cares and doubt that God is in control. The growing and faith-filled believer faces trials with 
knowledge about who God is and what He does and how He works, knowing that even in the trial, God is still there. In fact, God is intentionally working in that trial to help you because all good things come from above, right? Now, as we enter chapter 2, James addresses the issue of the believer's temptation to show partiality. And this, too, is a test of the believer's faith. This is a test of your growing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it growing? Is it maturing? Is it strong? How will the follower of Christ respond when tempted to show partiality or when tempted to show favoritism? That's a true test of whether a believer's faith is living and growing. And James is challenging us here. Where is your faith today? And is it growing and maturing to the point where you are guarding against the temptation to choose favorites or to, or to choose to show partiality to some and, and to dishonor others? But what's wrong with showing partiality, you might ask, or, or the world might ask? What's wrong with showing partiality? What's wrong with favoring some people over other people? Don't some people deserve or earn to earn our respect while others lose our respect? What's wrong with choosing to only associate with certain types of people to the exclusion of others? What's wrong with having opinions about certain kinds of people and having differing opinions about other kinds of people? Don't I have the freedom to choose my friends? Those are the kinds of questions your unbelieving friend might ask. But the follower of Christ who is reading God's word, I would contend, is going to be challenged strongly if those are his questions. If the follower of Christ brings those questions to the word, the word of God will correct and change your opinion and your outlook and your attitude about showing partiality or playing favorites because God's word takes a very strong stand against showing partiality, against playing favorites. And our passage here in James 2 may be the strongest statement against the sin of partiality that we have, and it is a powerful statement. What's wrong with having favorites and showing partiality? James is going to show us. I want you to first note, though, as we have before, we saw it in in, uh, chapter 1, James is writing to believers here, okay? And that's pretty clear in verse 1. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1 again. My brothers. Any clearer than that? He's talking about believers. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. My brothers, says James. Believers, beloved, brothers and sisters in Christ, hear this, says James. And says your pastor, because this is what James says. This is what God's word says. Listen to God's word today. There's an indicator here that this is to followers of Christ, and he's speaking to them very clearly to challenge them in their practice. The second indicator that he's speaking to believers, he says, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is a reminder of where our our thoughts and our actions, our conduct and and our treatment of others should be centered. As you hold the faith... In our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So this instruction is for believers, and the point is that being a follower of Christ should change the way you live. And what James is challenging here is the all-too-common practice of showing favoritism. But James is arguing that doing so, that showing favoritism by those who are by those who are God's children, is out of character. 
you're out of character if you're, I mean, it's the character that you should have. If you're showing favoritism, that is not the character of a growing, maturing believer. And James is arguing that God's people are not to do as they did before being saved and changed by God, given a new heart by the Lord Jesus Christ. God's people are to be different. And we're seeing here that one way we are to be different is in how we treat people. No longer thinking of ourselves first or by classifying people as we often do in the flesh and easily do in our culture, but by trying to see people as God sees them. Now, it may be an ordinary and everyday occurrence for unbelievers to treat others with partiality, showing favoritism to those with money or power, but that is not how followers of Christ are supposed to live. And that is not how followers of Christ are to treat others. But it is so easy to get this wrong. It is incredibly easy to get this wrong. We are, by our old nature, prone to play favorites. And sometimes those favorites are couched in words like tradition. That's just traditionally not accepted, we say. Or we've never done it that way before. Or why should we change what we've always done, right? If we're wrong, we better change. We are, by our old nature, prone to play favorites. But with the new nature, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, says James, you can change. You don't have to live like you lived before Christ, and you should not live like you lived before Christ. You can change as you live with your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He's God. And the believers to whom James is writing needed to hear this. It's not immediately obvious to us here in our English translations, but in the Greek it's pointing to something the believers need to stop doing. He is not suggesting that they don't start doing this. He's actually saying, and if, you, if we were able to read the Greek, the scholars tell us, you go back to the Greek, and the, and the meaning, the, the weight of this argument here is that you need to stop doing this. So James is telling believers, look, see what you're doing, stop. This is not honoring to God. And they were doing this. And so James is saying, stop showing partiality. This is not Christ-like living. Now, this is still God's inspired word, is it not? Amen? You don't have to agree with me. If you disagree, I'm going to spend the rest of the time trying to convince you that this is God's inspired word, okay? Because if we don't believe that this is God's inspired word, we're done here. Okay? God's word is authoritative, yes. It is powerful. It is effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It ought to pierce our souls so much so that when we read it, we say, Oh, that's me. I can't believe I'm doing that. God, help me to stop. So this is God's inspired word for the church still today. And if we have trusted in Lord Jesus Christ, we are God's children. And that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. There ought not be any other distinction. Not in what we're wearing or not wearing or not whether we're, you know, our skin is one color or another. 
there ought not be any other distinction. And simply thinking of all the different people in this room today and our differing backgrounds and upbringing and education is a vivid reminder of how different we are. But as God's children, no matter how different we are before we come to Christ or how different we are after we come to Christ, we are all a part of the family of God. And if we're going to hear the challenge from James, we need to be willing to ask God to help us. And I'm asking you to think about your own life and to consider yourself. This is not a time for you to pray about your wife or your husband or your children or your neighbor or the person sitting next to you. This is a time for you to examine your own heart with God's Word as we go to God's Word. And really, this is something that we ought to be doing every time we open the Word together. Oh, God, speak to me as we open your Word. And so I'm challenging you, as James challenged the believers he was writing to, brothers, do not show partiality. I'm pleading with you, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is for you too, and this is most assuredly for me. And if we're going to hear this challenge from James, we need to be willing to ask God to help us see where we're committing this sin. It's possible we're not. But I would argue it's more likely we are. It's very possible that many more of us show partiality than we think we do. I mean, just here's a... And I struggled with this a little bit as to whether I should give you any examples because I don't want you to think that these are the only examples because it's so handy when the pastor says, for example, and you go, oh, I don't do that. I'm done here. This must not be for me. The Holy Spirit is so much better about showing us in our own lives how this text applies to us, and so I'm asking that you be prayerful about that. But at the risk of using an example that we could say, well, that doesn't apply to me over, it is something in our culture interesting. Uh, there's a change going on in our culture, and it's, it has to do with something with as simple as the way we clothe ourselves. And I think it's kind of interesting that there's a, there's two sides and, and a lot of in-between, it seems like. There's two extremes almost and a lot of in-between. And we can see it in the, in our churches sometimes because sometimes in our churches we say, you, you really need to be dressed a certain way to worship God. And, and very often that's really more tradition than it is biblical. And so we say, you really ought to be dressed a certain way to honor God with your conduct and your actions because if you come dressed, in, and that's why I said this morning I was very tempted to show, to show up in a way that would you go, you would go, what in the world is he thinking? Dress like that. Just to make us, you know, to make you stop and think. Because sometimes we look at people and, and sometimes we think, how come they're not dressed like I am? Or how come they're not, you know, honoring God in a certain way? And I would suggest that God's word, especially in this passage, is really powerful, that sometimes if we, if we hold to that mindset that, that we've got to be dressed a certain way to honor God, or we've got to be dressed a certain way so that we can worship, or we've got to be dressed a certain way just to even preach, that we might need to take a step back and, and reconsider because I don't think God's looking at how we're dressed. He's looking at our hearts. Now, I would argue that, that, as your heart changes, your attire changes. And I'm going to argue from that perspective that as God changes you from the inside out, the outward begins to change. But I will also argue that as many people as are represented in this room, as we all change from the inside out, we may never match 
on the outside. And, and God's okay with that. Now there's the other extreme that says, I'm going to be so relaxed, I'm going to kick off tradition, and I'm going to kick off my shoes. And I'm going to be so relaxed that I'm going to thumb my nose at people who are traditionally, you know, kind of straight-laced and dressed a certain way. And I'm going to do my own thing because I am free in Christ to, to dress as I want. And God knows my heart. And you can kind of go to that extreme. And I would suggest that, that both extremes, who, the person who says, if you're not dressed like I am, you're not honoring God, that person, I believe, is wrong. And the person who goes to the other extreme and says, I'm going to do anything I, I want, I'm going to live how I want, and in your face, that, I think that person is wrong. And we can easily find ourselves in, in one of those, in a culture almost is going the other way today and going really casual and saying, I'm, you know, I can do anything now. We can be in the middle and be wrong too. And so, at the risk of using one illustration to the exclusion of others, that one was an easy one for me to just pick on because I, we can easily struggle with that. We can look at our upbringing or history in, in church and say, well, we've never, you know, worn clothing like that before, and it just doesn't seem honoring to God. That's between you and the Lord. And I would, and I would hope that as God changes your heart, your, your outward attire, honors God. But I am not going to suggest that your outward attire must match my list of attire. You know, the, I got this list of things that you should wear, and if you're not wearing them, then you're not honoring God. That's, that's wrong. That's just one example, okay? Now, I, I want to ask you to be careful that you don't stop listening because, well, you don't do that, okay? Note, note that what James points to first when he's challenging us about the sin of partiality and with what's wrong with it. What's wrong with having favorites? Or what's wrong with showing partiality? Or what's wrong with having an opinion about certain people? Note that what James points to first is that when I show partiality, I put myself in the place of God. Now how do I do that? And how do you do that? First, when I show partiality or favoritism, I take God's place as judge. I want you to see that. Note how James calls attention to the fact in verse 1 that believers hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. By calling Christ the Lord of glory, he's calling him God. You realize that? Only God is glorious. Did you hear that earlier as we, as we came to the Lord's Supper together? Only God is glorious. Only God is worthy of glory and honor and praise. And when James says, that believers hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He's really calling Christ God. So here James says, Jesus is the Lord of glory. So he's talking about Jesus as God here. And no mere man deserves the rightful place of judge, which God deserves. I mean, think of that. And we're going to see it here in just a moment. That the Lord Jesus Christ is the rightful judge of all. As God. And that is, in effect, what we do when we take God's place as judge. We become the rightful judge in our own minds. I'm capable of judging for God, in God's place, when we show partiality to one person over another. So James goes on to point to this illustration of two individuals coming into the assembly or the church, and it's the one that I use because it's the one that's here in the text. It's kind of sneaky for me to use the same illustration that James does, isn't it? Um, because he's talking about someone who appears to be wealthy and someone who appears to be very poor. 
And here is this wealthy person who comes into the church or has the appearance of wealth and, and maybe people know them in the community. That person is wealthy. And they show preferential treatment to this person and they give them the honored place in the assembly or in the church. And then the other person comes along and they don't look so well to do. Or maybe they're known in the community for being of, of little things of this world, of being poor, right? And, and, and they appear poor. They show up. They, they, they look very poor. They're shabbily dressed. And this person is kind of, you know, secreted off to the side. Uh, we don't want you to be a distraction because you don't quite look like we do. You can sit here. A place of lesser importance. Even a place of humiliation. And then in verse 4, James says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges? And not just judges, but judges with evil thoughts. And so he's saying here that for you to show favoritism places you in the place of God. You've taken God and you've moved him aside and you put yourself in his place. You are taking God's place as judge. And James is not talking about I'm going to suggest he's not saying that we shouldn't be discerning. We should know God's word and we should be thoughtful and careful about how we deal with people in the world in which we live. He's not talking about not being discerning, but he's talking about not being the judge in God's place. It's not that we shouldn't use wisdom, the wisdom of God's word to guide us. Remember, believers are taught by God's word to honor everyone, 1 Peter 2. We're to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That's a kind of the, a generalized way of saying be, be, be careful, be wise with, with how you deal with people. Not being, letting yourself being taken advantage of, but not harming either. And so we should use the wisdom that God gives us in His Word to guide how we deal with people. But what James is warning against here is that believers are not to become judges with evil thoughts. And what he's pointing to here is a heart that has evil intent. And so we begin to judge people because we're, we're led by our fleshly pursuits or fleshly desires and our sinful motives. And that, that's why I say this is so easy to get wrong. It's so easy to catch, catch ourselves in the sin of partiality before we even realize it. So showing favoritism and partiality is how you or I take God's place as judge. And we often do that with selfish and sinful motives. Secondly, James is saying here, we, we also see someone else being given God's place. We take God's place as judge, and when we show partiality, we actually give someone else God's place when we show partiality. The one we show partiality to is actually given the glory only God deserves. Think how God sees our favoritism. Those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ and worship the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, think of how he sees your favoritism when you choose someone else over another person whom God has brought into your midst. I mean, God is orchestrating far beyond sometimes what we understand and think. He is bringing people in and out of your lives. And and who are we to choose which ones we're going to minister to or minister with? And there is none more glorious than Christ who gave himself for our sins and is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as the Lord of glory, he brings all kinds of people into our lives that God would have us to either minister to the gospel with the gospel so that they might see Christ and trust in him or minister with as brothers or brother or sister in Christ. 
but by picking and choosing, but by showing partiality, by elevating a person based on their wealth or power or status, status we've, we've actually stolen the glory that belongs to God and given it to someone else. And, and that person is in, in no way any match for God. None of us are. See, God alone is the one worthy of glory and honor. And we saw that very clearly illustrated as we worship together today around the Lord's Supper. That's one, one of the reasons that we emphasize this point today, to think God is glorious. We aren't glorious. <laughs> the only glory we receive, we receive through Jesus Christ because of what he's accomplished for us. The most powerful and wealthy man on earth is nothing in comparison to the Lord of glory. We dare not take the glory that belongs to God and give it to another. Now, we've only touched on a couple of points here, and I think we can see already how dangerous the sin of partiality and favoritism is. We ought not be taking God's place as judge. We ought not be giving God's glory to another. So what can we do this week to overcome this temptation to show favoritism, to place ourselves in the place of God as judge, and to give the glory that God deserves to someone else? What can we do? And there's so much more here that we're going to talk about, Lord willing, later. But what can we do this week to to examine our own hearts, to challenge ourselves, to be careful that we're not doing this, that we're not sinning in this area, showing partiality? You know the account of King Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament? In Daniel 4, we learn that King Nebuchadnezzar considered himself to be something quite special. He looked around at his kingdom and he said, look at me. In Daniel 4.30, we hear King Nebuchadnezzar saying, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And then the text goes on to tell us that before he had even finished speaking, God spoke. God spoke from heaven against the king. And God humbled him, and God actually drove him from his throne and drove him from civilization so that, as verse 33 says, he ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. Not a pretty sight. But what I want you to hear was what Nebuchadnezzar said when he came to his senses, because it's a beautiful thing. When he came to his senses and he acknowledged that God alone is great, here's what he had to say. Daniel 4, verses 34 through 37. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom and my majesty and splendor returned to me, my counselors and my lords sought me, 
and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. How? How do you guard against the temptation to show favoritism? How do you guard against the temptation to take God's place as judge, thinking you're something? How do you guard against the temptation to give God's glory to another? Be certain, be certain that it is God you worship and God alone. Be certain that you only worship God. And you would say, I I, I do only worship God. Be careful how easy it is for us to make people big and God small. How easy it is for us to elevate the opinions or the status or the wealth of people over considering what God thinks of us. We're so concerned about what people think of us and how, and how they see us and how they perceive of us. And we're so careful to pay attention to those who have means. And we're not very careful to, to pay attention to those who don't seem to have means. We make people and our relationships with them and our standing with them and what they think of us far more important than we should. And we make our standing with God and what God thinks about us far less important. And look at what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar when he did that. Now, I'm not suggesting that God is going to make you live out in a field and that your fingernails and feathers will grow long. But God will not honor you. And you will not have joy. And you will not be at peace if you take the place of God as judge. And if you give the honor that God alone deserves to someone else. That is a dangerous form of pride. And that pride dishonors and displeases God and he will not bless the proud person. He will, in fact, resist the proud. We're going to hear it when we get to James chapter 4. We guard against the sin of partiality when we're careful to worship God and God alone. We guard against the sin of partiality when we're careful to worship God and no other thing or no other person. We're guarded against the sin of favoritism when we, in the words of King Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And we guard against the sin of partiality when we remember that those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. God will not let you walk in pride forever. We're going to come back to this passage tonight. We're going to see a couple more reasons James gives for why having favoritism and showing partiality is is sinful and wrong. But this is where we've got to begin. Worship God only. And you do that by not putting yourself in God's place as judge. 
by not looking at the exterior, the external things, being very careful that we're not looking at each other and saying, I know that person because I can see that person. Look, God sees that person as he truly is. It's our responsibility, it's our job to try to see as God sees, to get to know people and to care for others, to show them the love of Christ, to worship God and God alone, and do not put yourself in God's place as judge, and do not take God's glory and give it to anyone else by showing partiality. That's where we begin. It's a challenge, isn't it? I trust God will show you and challenge you and confront you. Wherever you might be showing partiality, showing favoritism, we need God's help in this. It can be a cancer on the life of the church. It can be a cancer in your life as God's child to to pick favorites, to play favorites, to show partiality against the authority of God's word. How challenging indeed is a passage like this when we might think, oh, we're okay. I don't, I don't look down on those who are, who are not well-dressed. But there might be many other ways we could easily show partiality if we're not willing to examine our hearts with a, with a light and powerful truth of God's word. I trust that's your desire.